This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Hello and welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, a rapidly growing show for accountants and firms, plus those who serve them, sell to them and sell to them. It features accountancy, fintech news and commentary analysis of that news and how it applies to you as accountants in practice. You also get practical what works tips and experts interviews. This is CPE or CPD accredited. It's social media promoted. It's commercially backed. We have 22,000 listeners right now all over the world in 150 countries, predominantly in the UK and the US. And I'm Rob Brown, one of your co-hosts, along with Martin Bissett. And let's get started with today's show. Hey, Rob, I hope you're in the mood for a quiz because I've got a question for you. Who would you say is the world's first client engagement and commerce platform for professional services? Are you talking about something that streamlines how accountants, bookkeepers win new business, engage clients, get paid, those kind of things? Oh, exactly that, yes. It's got to be Ignition. Ooh, right, first time. It's because with Ignition, you can easily win new business with impressive digital proposals. You can engage new and existing clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection all in one place. What I love about it is it connects with all the leading apps to run a business on autopilot, automate those time-consuming tasks like client onboarding or invoicing. And you know what that means. That means less admin and it means more time for clients. So it's easy for you, easy for clients, win-win. So what do people do if they want to find out more, Martin, about Ignition? To get an exclusive discount of 25% on all Ignition plans, head to our special podcast partners page at accountinginfluencers.com where the Ignition offer will be waiting for you. It's Tuesday and it's the news here on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm Rob Brown, along with my host, Martin Bissett, who's not with me today. We share with you not just the news and things that we spot happening in the accounting and fintech world, but what it means for you accounting practitioners. We have almost 25,000 listeners of our show now goes out daily. We appreciate you uh, sponsoring us, if you like, being advocates of what we do, sharing it with your friends. And with the news, we appreciate there's so much to take notice of. There's a lot going on in a fast-moving world of business, finance, accounting, advisory. We pick out the gems each week and give you the implications for how it affects you in your everyday role. And I'm picking up on a piece here by a, an organization called JE Consulting. We know Jo Edwards. She's part of our Accounting Influencers Roundtable. This is a mastermind group that Martin Bissett and I run together. It's based in the UK, but it's an international group. And it consists of people that sell to and through accountants who serve the accounting profession in one way or another. Some are big vendors, some are smaller coaches, consultants, trainers, advisors. And Joe Edwards Consulting. Joe is based in London in Canary Wharf. Uh, she's been a long-standing member, and they provide digital marketing services for accountants. So this is a news piece as well. It's not a promotional piece. It is a news piece. And we'll put the link to the article called The Changing Tides of Social Media. We'll put it in the show notes. And this is aimed actually at the younger Gen Z millennials in our audience here that get social media. I'm not saying if you're older, you don't get social media. I'm a little bit older now and I'm on, I'm not on TikTok yet, but I will be soon. I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Facebook because I have to be and we have to be, don't we? I, I once chaired a, a conference and Sony were on the roster to speak. And I, I got a chance to talk to the head of marketing for Sony back at that time. And I said, where does your organization, your company show up online? And his answer was insightful. He said, wherever our customers are online, that's where we are. So for you accounting practitioners, you've got to be where your clients, potential clients and your potential staff are. We've been talking recently on the show about employer brand, and I'll be picking up on that in future episodes. If you're not in the conversation and owning the narrative, and appearing there and commanding attention of in one form or another, then you are irrelevant, you are obsolete, you are out of sight, out of mind. So I don't know who wrote this post at JEC. She's got some great people there, but it says this, time doesn't stand still and neither does the growth of social media. The number of users across platforms continues to grow annually as both young and old use their feeds to share information, images, videos, and much more. So that's true. We know that. However, in recent years, the market has seen the share of users shifting. And most sites have had continued growth, but some have had some losses. And so she shares some stats on what has grown and what hasn't. And she says the stalwarts, which are Facebook, 
WhatsApp, Instagram, LinkedIn. She doesn't mention Twitter there, but I'd perhaps put them in there. They have seen strong growth, but actually Twitter hasn't. That's probably why it isn't in there. We'll come to that. But new platforms, many of which have sprung up during the pandemic, are expanding rapidly. She's got a great graphic, and I'll talk you through some of the stats here. It shows an indication of current monthly active users on each platform and their speed of growth. So monthly active users, here we go. Size is everything. Facebook, 2.9 billion users, and that's gone up 0.1 billion from 2020. What is that? Uh, 0.1 billion is one, is that 1 million? Showing my math skills here. WhatsApp, no change from 2020, 2 billion users. Instagram, 2 billion users. That has gone up 1 billion from 2020. That's massive, isn't it? Facebook Messenger, I'm guessing that is. That's 1.3 billion. That's no change from 2020. WeChat, 1.2 billion. That's gone up 371 million people from 2020. Here's a big one, TikTok. Who would have heard of TikTok? Some of you are, are on it. In terms of you look at it, it's highly entertaining. It can be educational. One billion increase in users, up from 311 million people using it in 2020. Pinterest, I'm not big on Pinterest, but 431 million users, which is 111 million increase since 2020. Snapchat's gone down. My daughters use Snapchat. That's down 28 million from 2020, and it now has 319 million users. This is one that will concern you accounting practitioners. LinkedIn now has 310 million users. That is up 7 million from 2020. It's not a huge amount. It certainly is dwarfed by Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and TikTok at a billion, but it's in the game and it's a professional network, isn't it? It's less social and more business. Although I have seen blurred lines. Some of the posts that get traction and engagement on LinkedIn tend to be a, a bit more Facebooky and social and personal rather than giving content that's valuable. Uh, but I won't get started on that. It's one of my bugbears. And the last one is Twitter. This one is surprising. 211 million worldwide users. Did I hear somewhere that Elon Musk has recently bought Twitter? Um, not in this conversation, but that's gone down 119 million users from 2020. So what is the implications of this news? First, the unexpected rise of TikTok, and the article talks about this. The fastest growing platform out there is TikTok. It's doubled its active users, and the number keeps on rising. And to the uninitiated, it was an app created for teenagers to share fun video content. However, it's grown considerably with many of the world's leading brands, influencers, news sites, and politicians launching profiles, launching accounts. It's video-based and varies in length from a few seconds to up to three, five, I think soon to be 10 minutes. Hundreds of million users, uh, millions of users sharing and creating content on this app, ranging from obscure hobbies to the latest world developments, dances, memes, obscure clips, and it's favored by younger social media users. Now let's think about this as we consider the implications for you as accounting firm leaders, employers, looking for the next generation of talent, looking to bring young people in. You've got to be talking their language. You've got to be showing your employer brand where they are appearing. And, and these are your clients as well. The average accounting partner here in the UK is around 53 years old. The average business owner here in the UK is around 33 years old. This is Gen Z. These are millennials. This is a digital cohort here that are very comfortable with TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook. It doesn't matter that you don't like it. It doesn't matter that you can't get to grips with it as an individual. Your clients and potential clients, this is their world. Your staff, your team members, your future employees and current employees, this is their world. If you want to relate to them, be relevant to them, get their attention, you need to be where they are, speaking their language and engaging on the platforms that they're having conversations on. It says here in the article, there are already dozens of solicitors, financial advisors, and accountants on TikTok, often acting at a personal level, sharing tips and advice to thousands of followers. She cites one of the most significant in the UK has been family lawyer Tracy Maloney, known more commonly as the legal queen on TikTok. She has hundreds of videos covering all kinds of topics and now has... 364,000 followers and more than 2 million likes. That's a game changer, isn't it? This is a lawyer. 
This is a solicitor and she's not alone. This platform could be a significant area of growth for you as an accounting firm. If you've got savvy marketing people, young Fianas, associates, managers, grads, school leavers coming in, starting to be personality led with their content. This is how we create thought leadership around the personality. So that is the news. What are you doing about this? If, just, if you're just listening to this and thinking, well, it doesn't concern us, you have completely missed the boat here. Or if you're thinking, we're already on with this. Someone in marketing's got this. I'm sure we've got a, a practice TikTok channel. I'm sure we're doing something. Maybe you are, but what are you doing? How are you staying relevant? As an individual practitioner, as a trusted advisor, trying to attract new, fresh clients with exciting businesses, if you can't relate to them, and resonate with them and understand a little bit of their world, you're going to become obsolete. So that is the news. I'm not expecting us all to rush onto TikTok. I'll be on there soon. We've got plans here with accounting influencers as a brand to start to tell more stories about employer brand and talent and reputation building and stuff that accounting practitioners need to know. But it will be personality led. Uh, and I will find a way, we will find a way to fit TikTok into our plans rather than making social media fit into our plans we've got to adhere to what is out there and work with what we've got that is the news i'll see you on tiktok improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly, really fly. the accounting influencers fly. podcast with rob brown and martin bissett I welcome to our guest interview today. I'm here with Chris Argent from Generation CFO. This is a community of over 100,000 members growing rapidly, produce experiences, content, thought leadership, and interviews for their community, peer learning, and advice on how to survive in the CFO accounting world. Have I got that just about right, Chris? Yeah, I, I could give you the elevator pitch, but it's uh, that that's about right. We're here to champion finance leadership teams in, in industry. Yeah, and we've had you on the show before. We talked about the CFO space. In some ways, how it's very similar to what the accountants are doing, and you put it really well in that it's meeting business demand. Isn't that what accountants are doing for their clients? And isn't that what CFOs are doing for their employers? So uh, it makes good sense. What kind of shape do you feel the CFO accounting profession is in right now, given all that's going on, Chris? I think they're in great shape. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of change that they're managing at the moment. You know, we've we've been through the mill over the last couple of years with the pandemic. Um, I think that's probably led to a bit of a storm brewing now um, in that there's more demand for us than ever. There's more change required than ever. And um, and we're, we're struggling with that change a bit as well because we, we haven't had to change, you know. And I don't just mean in terms of remote working and how people want flexibility nowadays. It's, it's really fundamental to what we're offering our clients and our businesses and, and how we sort of fit the bill because, you know, we might be doing new things that aren't in our budget um, or trying to change our pricing that we haven't charged for before. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to consider. Sure. I'm going to do a deep dive on one of your pet topics, if you like, which is data finance analytics. And uh, why is this an important topic to talk about? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I've headed up sort of data analytics um, teams and uh, on the sort of the roles and the process side. Uh, within group finance teams in, in large enterprise. And I just see the value. I see the, not only is it really sort of helpful to the business to offer a wider kind of view on, on the data that you're providing, the information that you're providing, maybe a more compelling view with some visualization as well. But I just see it as a really nice, creative, analytical job that so many accounting people might have thought they were getting into before they realized they were starting at the bottom of the ladder in a transactional role. And it was going to be quite a long time before they got into that uh, sort of juicy information and, and business partnering. So I, I just think it's a it's an opportunity just begging to be taken by a lot of people. I love you putting the words creative and analytics together. It's uh, not something we normally associate, but you're absolutely right. Nobody wants to be chained to a desk looking at spreadsheets for 10 to 15 years to make partner or get on the board. So there's a lot of opportunities here. Well, what are some of the main finance analytical challenges you see for businesses these days, Chris? I would put these in two camps. So 
the real challenge is basically on the non-technical side. So I think people sort of think about analytics as being quite a technical area. We need technical resource. We need tools and data. Oh, what's this all about? A bit geeky, a bit nerdy. Absolutely. And accountants fit right in. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say there's a, there's a whole sort of technical challenge there, but that can be solved and that can be solved pretty easily with the right technology, you know, the right understanding of the technology, the right skills. The biggest challenge, I think, in the sort of data analytics, finance analytics space is the, the awareness of what it is from a leadership point of view and the understanding of, you know, how to go about it to sort of create a capability, to create an asset in this new thing that you have. A lot of people talk about data as an asset and data value and all the rest of it. And, but that only comes when you can kind of control the beast. So I think really the biggest challenge is, is sort of the CFOs, finance leadership teams, partners of firms, you know, really understanding the opportunity that data analytics can bring. Um, and I, I would argue there's, there's an immediate um, need for it in practice and it's, it's not being taken. Other people are actually taking it for you you know, small business analytics companies are starting to pop up to fill that gap because practices aren't offering it. They can't get their heads around it. But also on the industry side, um, there might be other other teams within your organization who are starting to pick up financial analytics when they're not even in finance. Yeah, they're reporting the numbers when they're not even in finance. So we have to get our heads around this. It's a massive opportunity, but I see the real challenge is more of that sort of leadership challenge as, as to to even recognize you need to go on this journey. There's so much data in accounting firms now coming from the vendors. That data needs analyzing. And more than analyzing and reporting, it needs the narrative put to that that makes sense for the business owners to make good decisions. There's got to be, I suppose, a, a good combination, a good blend of the data and the analytics and the storytelling, hasn't it? Yeah. And that, that's what makes this role creative. You know, it might be weird for people to think, oh, I've got a creative role in accountancy and it's not that, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> you know, leave that to the tax specialists. But um, no, this is about, you know, providing information to our clients that they might not necessarily be thinking of yeah um, and providing information to our clients and, and to our business lines of business you know budget holders in a way that they can really get it um, and it will mean a different way of working you know the 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 sort of technicalities of data visualization i think a lot of people just sort of shrug it off it's like oh we we do charts chris we know how to do charts thank you very much but it's, you know, there's a whole science around it. There's a whole brain science around, you know, visualization. And we all know the difference between sort of, you know, good visualization and bad visualization. You know, can we understand what it's trying to say quickly? There were loads of opinions about, you know, the pandemic kind of charts and graphs that were being shown. You know, that, that just goes to show it's not as easy as you think, even if there is just a line graph there. So there is information that could be presented in, in a better way um, using these standards. Uh, and, but I think fundamentally there is, again, this sort of concept that needs to be understood that there is a process to go on for data analytics. And it starts with understanding, you know, the decision that you're trying to make or the problem you're trying to solve. It doesn't start with the tools, which is where a lot of people go out shopping for tools. Um, what can tend to happen there is they buy the tool, they give it to the team, then it doesn't work quite right or the team don't know how to use it and then they start blaming the tool. But actually, it's probably that you haven't understood where you want to go with this tool. You haven't changed your processes, your approaches towards this tool. So there has to be a real blend of, you know, of data, of, of tools, of people, of, you know, the non-technical um, data skills, you know, the problem solving, the, the, the context that you need to bring with the data analytics. All of that is packed in there, which makes it a really exciting opportunity. What are some of the big trends you're seeing in this area? What's happening in this world that CFOs and accounting practitioners should be aware of? The biggest trend is that, that people are realizing that they have to do this. You know, with any technology that comes out, there's always this sort of hype curve um, and you get people sort of completely overestimating what you can do with this technology. And even our, our driverless cars, you know, we've expected them to be here very soon, but they're not. But there's this big hype curve for every bit of technology. I think it's called Amari's Law, if you want to go and look that up. 
And but what's actually happened is that we've matured our view. You know, we've heard the messaging. We've started to realize, yes, there is a benefit to these tools. Yes, there is a benefit to data analytics. So I think the biggest trend really is that we're starting to get it. We're starting to understand that it isn't about this hype message. It's about going to learn how to apply a data analytics process or how to create good data visualization. Um, and then there may be a technical skill set that we need to learn separate to those non-technical processes and skills. But most people have no awareness of what this subject's all about. So that's really the first thing, the acknowledgement that, you know, if we, we need to go on this journey, we need to start training people in this subject. There's so much coming up, though, isn't there, Chris? You talk in, in your sessions around end-to-end data and analytics cloud platforms, all these new concepts. There's a lot to stay on top of. There is a lot to stay on top of, but I would say, you know, keep it simple. So (laughs) as always, um, uh, talking to to your kind of audience directly, uh, there's a lot of apps out there that you can go and plug and play and and buy. Now, that's a great start. And I know that some people are very happy with those tools. And, you know, I credit all of those founders who have set up those organizations. I think they've they've been amazing in our industry, but it's part of the journey. So I would say buying an app, you know, is great, but it's sort of buying something that's fairly fixed or fairly sort of standard. So if you want to then, you know, build this capability or start selling a service to a client, then you may need to be thinking differently about the people, the tools, the response times, you know, how you're going to actually create this capability. And that might require different tools and, you know, different approach. You know, some people are sort of almost like a technology broker, you know, we'll buy this app and we'll charge you for that app and you know you we can get our heads around charging that but there are power of analytics it depends what you're trying to solve but it could be you know thousands of pounds rather than tens of pounds that you've just shown someone that you can sort of help them with a decision on so there is a lot to sort of get our heads around i think from the technology side but don't start there just start with talking to your clients talking to your businesses about you know, the problems that that they need to solve. But one of the biggest blockers to that is that this whole model within practice is about charging out your hours. And it, it almost stops dead that, that sort of trial and error, that test and learn, that innovation sort of process. How, and I sort of talked to the partners now, it's like how, you know, are you allowing your team to sort of go on this journey if, everything they do has to be charged out against something that you're currently charging because this could be a new service to you and in industry people are starting to say well we almost need an r&d approach or we need you know a more flexible approach to how we're delivering so that we can find that time are you challenging the billable hour here chris people have tried to do this for years and accountants haven't changed <laughs> I, i'm i'm not an expert enough to sort of really go down that that rabbit hole all i would say is you've got a product that's been commoditized okay accept that and move on what else are you going to do you know if the billable hour is the way to go then then you know keep keep that but billable hour in analytics services I don't think it's a problem with the data analytics and it's not a problem that the business doesn't want it or understand what they're trying to buy. It's an identity shift for the firms and the accountants because they are thinking in a particular way. So how do I charge this? Who does this? How do I provide this information service? Go and look outside your own organization because there are organizations out there that are providing these BI services directly to probably your own clients because you're not. And is it a huge stretch for that company to set up and provide these BI services? No, it really is about identity and, and about a, a shift. And, you know, maybe you do need someone who can just own it and lead it and have the flexibility to create it while everybody else is charging by the hour and, and you know, doing 60 hours billable, whatever it is. But we have to address that issue as well if you're going to make that change. And it is the same in industry. There's a lot of conversation about how these things are funded and charged and a lot of wooden dollar conversations between, you know, does this department have the cost or does that department have the cost? It's like, well, we've already spent it. So, you know, what's the point? You know, delivering the service because it's providing value to a business, that's the starting point. And I'm sure you'll work out a price, your, your accountants. I'm thinking as well of the value of real-time insights. We have to respond so quickly 
to emerging trends, events that are happening right now. Accountants, CFOs can't afford to be reactive with what's going on. So the power at which we get data and can analyze that, that's a game changer, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, why do we have primetime ads for zero and QuickBooks and the like nowadays? You know, it's because they're, they're making a huge amount of money. But that is an innovation kind of example there that we could all learn from. Is the benefit changing the accounting industry or changing how we've done accounting? No. The benefit is moving to the cloud. The benefit is creating a standard API so that we can transact in a particular way and plug into all this data and find all this data. So they've kind of fixed the problem for us that we didn't even know we had. And now we've gone, all oh, right, we need all this data. That, so they're, they're one step ahead of us. But you know, we could start doing that on the data analytics side as well. We could start thinking, well, what data do we need for our clients? What decisions do we need to make for our clients? What tools do we need for our clients? Okay, let's go and do that. Let's go on that journey. Let's start charging it out. And the real-time nature of it is, I think, almost more important on a sort of small business side because you know everyone's worried about cash. Everyone's sort of making decisions that they have to probably fund immediately rather than you know going to a a sort of funding committee and then being given a million to go and play with. But, and in the industry, they're more operational use cases. You know, the, the operations teams might need to make in-flight decisions, you know, discount within a day to get rid of stock or whatever it is. All those things are happening um, within industry as well. But I think the real-time nature of things is is powerful. But that said, it's not the be-all and end-all because, you know, I don't need to have real-time information if I can't affect that decision in real time. I, if I only make the decision once every month, then I only need the information once a month. What are your thoughts, Chris, on the security of data? There's a lot of safety implications here, isn't there? As we compound the data, there's a lot more of it, so there's a lot more at risk. Yeah, I think this might be one of the blockers, actually, with people going into data analytics or just even exploring this new area, because as risk managers, I would say it's all on a spectrum, but maybe we're more risk-averse. We're certainly trying to find risk and report risk and whether we were on audit, where we're managing audit risk or in industry, where we're looking for risks, um, operational risks. You know, we have that sort of risk um, professional skepticism built into us. So it's it's quite sort of daunting for us to say, right, OK, let's let's invite risk in, you know, information risk, cybersecurity risk, GDPR risk, whatever it is. And. And it can make us feel you know, a little bit uncomfortable. This isn't what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be getting rid or reducing risk. But, but actually, there's a bigger benefit. You know, If we have to move to the cloud, I don't think anyone now is thinking anything other than cloud. And I think all of the concerns about cloud, which you know, only a few years ago about data security and the like, you know, that's all gone away. I think people do want to know where the, their cloud servers are. But I think that's probably it from a, um, a finance point of view. That's a, more of a legal point. But the the risk is is sometimes you know putting people off. But I think that again is a la- lack of education rather than the fact. These are some great insights into the challenges and opportunities with data analytics. Just get your crystal ball out to finish, Chris. What is next for financial data analytics over the next year, five, ten years? What should finance leaders, accountants be keeping their eyes open for? I think it's going to become core to our profession. You know, there's a lot of debate at the moment about the shape of our profession. You know, should audit be within accountancy? Should it be a separate profession? I think one thing's for sure. If you went into accounting to help businesses, you know, be a business manager, maybe one day be the boss or your own boss, then business analytics, finance analytics is going to be core to that. Um, I think we're going to probably see a a formalization of that within our profession. You know, the accounting institutions are starting to bring this into the exam syllabus. It's done, I would say, fairly badly at the moment, and it's only for a couple of marks. And I don't think that's the right approach. You know, we, we have to learn this and give it the respect that it needs and actually talking about sort of easy solutions and low code, no code is a bit of a red herring. Um, we actually do need to learn something here. We do need to go on the finance analytics journey and we actually will benefit from it massively. So, you know, don't sort of compromise on it. Um, don't look for easy solutions, you know, just go and provide the best information that you can and be the best communicator that you can and 
by default, you'll be the, the best partner to your, your clients and your business. Love that. You almost took my last question away from me. I wanted you to leave us at the accountants, the CFOs, the financial professionals listening with some words of encouragement, almost a call to arms. They're fighting for relevance. They're fighting for influence. They're trying to make a difference in the businesses and firms, clients that they serve. Communication is a big part of it. Managing the data and the tools is a big part of it. What would be your parting message to those? I would say get closer to your clients, not further away. <laughs> yeah, get closer to the business if you're listening to this from an industry point of view. Yeah, stakeholders, all of those people. Yeah, absolutely. The closer you get to them, the more you understand them, the more you'll be able to you know, offer to them, the more you'll be able to solve for them. And if that means sitting with them for a bit, then do that. Um, I, I, Being curious. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ask ask as many questions as you can. I, I get away from the, the the sort of client being someone not to engage with, and you know, to have one chat with every six months because that's what's on the costing sheet. You know, I, I think we've got to look further than that. And I know a lot of partners would challenge me on that. But you know, if you want to build your business and keep your clients, and the client demand is moving, you, you've got to you've got to go with it. Yeah, terrific. And if people want to join generationcfo.com, how do they go about that? What do they find there, Chris? So they can go onto the, the website and sign up to our, our newsletter. They'll hear about all of the educational stuff, the summit that's coming up in June, the awards that we do as well, just to celebrate people. Or you'll find me on, on LinkedIn. That's my my major channel. And we've we've got the LinkedIn group there, as I said. There's one for industry and there's kind of one for small business and, and firms, which is small but it's it's um i think around six thousand in the group at the moment it's not small chris Sargent from generation cfo that's been great thanks so much for your time today here's rob thanks for inviting me this is our thursday episode of the accounting influencers podcast and that means practical time here's what works being really pragmatic and giving you the lowdown on key skills and attributes that you as accounting practitioners out there in the workplace talking to clients, talking to colleagues, talking to strategic partners, talking to vendors, people trying to sell you things and people endeavoring to buy things from you. What do you need to succeed? And we spoke last week about executive presence and I shared with you a couple of traits, attributes, skills that you should be developing. One was to cut out the non-words like, you know, kind of, I mean, I think, sort of, maybe, perhaps, um, so that you're much more punchy with your message and every word counts. The second thing I suggested to you that really works with developing executive presence is to be really clear on your message and be intentional, be purposeful. And the phrase I gave you was, why use a policeman in an automobile when a cop in a car will do? One's much more punchy and impactful because you get to the point and you don't dither and you don't waffle and you don't mess about with long words and you don't take 100 words when 50 will do. So continuing with the theme of executive presence today, Let's just remind ourselves what executive presence is. It's that gravitas, that depth of personality, that weight of voice. And you can picture people right now, you know, that have that kind of presence. They walk into a room and people take notice. Uh, People sit up. People almost straighten their shoulders a little bit and, and they're on their best behavior. They pay attention. And we are in a fight for attention. In an attention deficit world is what I'm trying to say. Attention is at a premium. We have an intolerance for people that dither and do not get to the point. So executive presence comes out and you've been a leader, been influential, and there's lots to learn about executive presence. It is coachable, it is teachable, it is learnable. You're not just born with it. It's a combination of style and substance and character and lots of different facets. I wanna share with you today what works on how your executive presence manifests itself. So you understand this term a little bit more. When we understand something, We can become it, we can adopt it more, we can be more mindful of it. So first, your executive presence comes out in this word gravitas, which is how you act. And that's your conduct, your behavior, your poise, your posture. It comes from an inner confidence, and I'll talk about confidence perhaps a little bit later, but confidence in your own abilities and your own knowledge, this all dictates how you act. And we've spoken before about imposter syndrome, haven't we? We will come back to this. It's a recurring theme with accountants that have proximity bias. Proximity bias is when you get so close to what you do, you lose sight of how important it is. 
are how smart you are, how intelligent you are, how much you make a difference. And accountants as a breed, technically super smart. And I'm a part qualified accountant. I, I studied a degree in accounting. I have a diploma in accounting. So I understand a little bit of the super smart technical requirements of being a, an accountancy professional. But these are super smart people. So there is this case of, am I good enough? You're talking to smart clients. So you feel you've got to have all the answers. Can I cope in this job? Knowledge is not enough. You've got to have a blend of skills. And, and Gravitas comes into this, this how you act thing. So a certain amount of confidence uh, is described as grace under fire. You may have heard that phrase. Staying calm in high-pressure situations, being able to hold your head to see the bigger picture. And you respect people that come across as a little bit more serious and intelligent, not frivolous, not jokey, not playing things down, understanding the weight of things, but not getting too carried away. So when we think gravitas and how you act, we think weight, seriousness, uh, being solemn, dignified, important. Gravitas, it denotes a certain substance, depth of personality, weight of voice that elicits a, a feeling of respect, trust, calmness, safe pair of hands, Charisma is part of that, but it's not often being extrovert. You can have introverts with a high amount of gravitas because you know they don't open their mouth a lot. They're not the star of the show, but when they do speak, it counts. So we're talking about presence, and, and we know when someone has it and when they don't, but you can develop this. You can develop this aura. So executive presence manifests as gravitas, which is how you act. It also manifests as communication, which is how you speak, how you present. And research tells us that a, a fast, high-pitched voice is not conducive to an executive presence. Now I'm exaggerating there, but the faster you speak, the less seriously you are taken. Good politicians speak more slowly. You get some celebrities that speak fast, but I'm talking about politicians here and people with that gravitas that have a lot riding on what they are saying. Actors, a lot of celebrities just have to deliver a performance. Politicians are public servants, and you as accountants, you're acting as trusted advisors. So speaking in a high-pitched tone with a lot of fast words is not conducive to executive presence. It doesn't command a huge amount of respect. It doesn't exude gravitas. We strive to be a little lower in our voice, even you ladies listening. Uh, I'm not saying don't be feminine, and I'm not even saying don't try to be more masculine, but you can certainly speak more slowly with a slightly deeper, richer tone to your voice that commands respect. So be a little bit more measured, more weighted, more considered. And research tells us that that tends to be more emphatic, more readily received, and, and even more punchier. We know you've got the knowledge. We know you can deliver vast amounts of knowledge. We know you could go deep in certain topics. But you've got to, in your communication, deliver this in a way that's concise so you're not wasting your words and you don't feel the need to speak fast with short attention spans and try and get a million words into a, a minute. The average amount of words people speak in a minute is between 100 and 150, maybe 200 if you're too fast. People with gravitas will get that below 100, maybe even 70, 80, 90 words in a minute. So they're slow, they're measured. And we know attention spans are brief, patience is in short supply. So you've got to choose your words carefully haven't you, when you communicate? It's not just how you speak, but the words that you say. So don't waste your words. And whether you're delivering a speech or putting your hand up in a meeting or talking to a client, you've got to show that every word you say counts and it adds value in a way that is both compelling and brief and it's worth listening to. So that's the second. We've got gravitas in executive presence. That's how you act. We've got communication, which is how you speak. And the third dimension is appearance, which is how you look. You won't be surprised to know, you like knowledge this in people you know have executive presence, that the way you look counts for something. You can't rock up, you can't show up dressed casually, um, unless you're in that casual situation, in which case your clothes have got to be absolutely spot on casual. You've got to think about your clothing, your grooming, your fitness, your health, your look, uh, this aura that you exude, because even before you open your mouth, people are judging you. They judge the way you walk, the, the way you dress. They judge your business card, they judge the car you drive, they judge your accessories, your case, your bag, your hair. 
even on a subconscious level, they're making perceptions and opinions about you very, very quickly. And they're thinking, do I like you? Do I not? Do I rate you? Do I not? And a lot of this comes from visual presentation. So you've got to look the part. Now, admittedly, in COVID times, we're not all about wearing a tie these days and, and dressing up to the nines, as we say. But we still need to look smart. We still need to look business-like, not too casual. I know the hoodies coming back in, sweatshirts are coming back in, we're in a Zoom world. But when you're in positions where you need to exude a little bit of confidence and a little bit of gravitas, think about your actions and your behavior. Think about your communications, your tone of voice, your words that you use, and think about your appearance, how you look. That is what works with executive presence. Think about those things in your accounting and FinTech role and see what you can do to up your game Remember, this is all coachable. All of this can be learned. It's developed over time. I'll look at the people that have got it, modify what you're doing to embrace some of their qualities. And before you know it, you will start to exude this confidence, this gravitas, this executive presence, which will give you more influence, more depth of personality, more character. Now go out there and do it. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast. It's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. That means less admin and more time for client drop. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. So that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. Hi, and welcome to our special guest interview for this week on the show. And I'm thrilled to have with me today, Kevin Appleby of Grow CFO. Kevin, good day to you. Hello, Rob. Kevin, for people I haven't come across, you tell us about your role and what Grow CFO do. Grow CFO. Um, we're here for CFOs, says it in the title. I suppose our, our main point is really two audiences, folk who are looking to move into their first CFO role, and we've got the future CFO program, and folk that have moved into a CFO role and are finding it a little bit of a challenge. Because let's face it, your exams taught you how to be an accountant. Your exams didn't teach you how to be a CFO. And a lot of people get very, very challenged when they move into that first role. So we're there to support those folk. And more recently, we've also launched a team training product so that we can help CFOs develop the finance team that's sitting below them. It's great stuff. We're going to talk in the show about that transition from accountant in practice to CFO. Just clarify a few things for us, Kevin. Are all CFOs accountants? Is that traditionally their background, their heritage, or do they come from different places? Traditionally, Rob, yes. What we're seeing, though, is that that's not necessarily the case. If you've got a, a rough understanding of finance and you've got a good team behind you, perhaps you aren't. And I think it's worth saying there are probably three types of CFO. There's the, the fundraising CFO, the strategy CFO, the operational CFO. Now, that fundraising guy, there's a possibility that he or she might have come from a banking background. I think that's the main other source of CFO that you see. That That's the one where it's not an accountant. You know, somebody who's been involved in fundraising for years and years, knows the banking world inside out, knows the investor market inside out, knows the angels knows the private equity houses and so on. That sort of CFO doesn't necessarily have to be an accountant. Well, Kevin, we'll come back to the three types of CFOs. You've outlined the, the fundraising one a little bit, but the routes that people take to a CFO role then, just map those out for us so we understand the landscape. Yeah, so let's, let's ignore that banker one for a while. But I think if you're an accountant, well, you might have qualified in industry, you might have qualified in the profession. We, we've done a fairly big survey recently looking at routes to CFO to try and really find out what's sitting behind this. And there's, there's no one route. But 
it's less common for somebody to go through a role in practice and get fairly senior in practice and then jump over to be a CFO. It's more likely that somebody has left practice at, at a more junior level, moved across into industry, moved into a financial controller or a head of finance role, and then moved on to CFO like that. That's probably the commonest route. I think sort of moving from practice to, to CFO very rarely happens at the top level. Why is that? I think it's possibly because you're looking at two completely different skill sets. Okay. By the time you're that far on in your career, you are that accountant in practice, that partner, and you've you've got all of those skills. And the CFO is perhaps too big a jump at that point. I'm not sure it's too big a jump, but you know, you're probably looking to have developed a, a different set of skills. Now, we, we've got an interesting set of people that are sort of fractional CFOs that might be CFOs for several companies. And those folk may well have come from practice and they may well have ended up working in a, a kind of second career for, for a subset of their, their clients and doing more of the CFO role than the, the accountant's role. And I think in that case, you can find that they, they become the, the CFO of an organization. But I think it's quite rare for a partner to leap across and be a full-time CFO. Has the CFO role changed over the years, Kevin? We are in unusual times. Oh, very definitely. Very, very definitely. CFO role is always changing. I think if you go back several years, it was very much uh, you were the head of finance. You were looking after the books and records. You were looking after governance and you were presenting the business results to the business. I think you were the in-house auditor, the in-house accountant. Was that the other term for it? I'm not sure in-house auditor, but in-house accountant, certainly. Yes. These days, the, the CFO is much more of a strategic role. He's much more of an advisor. He, he needs to be... I'm saying he, but just as easily she, needs to be right-hand man, the co-pilot to the CEO. And I'd say that the CFO these days needs to have general business experience and just happens to have a finance angle to all of those things. It's not about presenting the monthly results to the board. It's about giving a financial aspect on any decision the board might be taking. Are there bad CFOs and good CFOs like there are Poor accountants and excellent accountants. I'm sure there are. <laughs> How would you distinguish between the good and the great when it comes to the CFO role, Kevin? The good and the great. Um, I think the the great CFO is the is the CFO that the CEO will always turn to whenever there's a decision to be made. Will be the the sounding board. Will be the person that's pretty much involved in every business decision, whether it's a financial decision or a non financial decision. Um, you're saying as well, has the CFO role changed? I think what we're seeing is the CFO typically these days is taking on many more roles in the organization than just simply running finance. It's not uncommon, and I mentioned earlier three types of CFO. There's the operational CFO, and it may be may well be that that sort of CFO is getting involved in running a procurement, is may even be running IT, may be running HR. So I think we're seeing a CFO that needs a much, much wider skill set than just running the accounting side. And I, I think also, Rob, you're talking about a, a CFO becoming the external face of finance. So when, when you move from being head of finance, you're very much running a finance team. You become CFO, you're looking outwards. Your, your customer is the, the investor. It may well be the customer of the business. It may well be the supplier of the business, but that's where all your conversations then then tend to be focused. You're no longer the internal face of finance in the company, the external face. And I think it's the, the role is very much evolving to being much more that sort of person. That makes sense. And when we look at all the M&A activity going on right now, there's a lot of buying and selling. You would become a negotiator in that whole sequence of events, wouldn't you, on behalf oh, of your yeah. company? Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, but then again... We, we talk a lot to people in the future CFO program, but what sort of CFO do you want to become? Do you want to be a generalist? Do you want to be a specialist? You know, there are CFOs certainly that specialize in doing the M&A piece, but just as easily, you may only go through one acquisition in your whole career. Well, you can get most of the skills you need to do that from firm of external advisors. I'm reminded of my time after I finished teaching. I was a high school math teacher for many years and uh, in planning my exit from teaching, I took a master's in human resources and they asked you very early on, do you want to be a generalist, human resource management, HRM, or 
perhaps a, a little bit more of a specialist human resource development, which had more of an L&D spin to it. And you were asked quite early to pick a lane. Do you encourage CFOs to do that as well or try everything, get a broad skill set and then niche down the line? It's a mixture of both. And we've got on the, on the Grow CFO website, and you can go across to growcfo.net and take this quite easily without even joining Grow CFO. We've got a, what we call a CFO competency framework. And it asks a series of questions. And we've broken down the competencies a CFO needs into, into nine key areas. And then each one is divided into five further areas. So that's 45 skills altogether. Now, that's a lot. And most people that take it get a bit of a surprise to find that they're, they've got lots of gaps in their skill base. <laughs> 45 different things. You cannot be a master of all of them. And I'd say you need a, a minimum level across all 45. But how deep you want to go into any of those 45 really depends on whether you want to specialize. So say if you, if you constantly want to be with startups, you constantly want to be going through Series A, Series B fundraising rounds. Well, I'd expect to see the fundraising skills in that competency framework very high. Yes. And if we overlaid the core competency skills of an accountant in practice with those required by a CFO, how much overlap might there be? Well, what there's the nine we've actually split down into into three sets of three. So the, the, the there's an area that we generally call governance and control, and now I'd, I'd expect all of those governance ones to be very strong in an accountant in practice. Um, there's another one which is about soft skills. Soft skills, yeah, you probably if you're if you're in practice, you're dealing with clients all the time. You increasingly important. Increasingly important. Could be could be fairly good. The third set is around so your your commercial business acumen, catalyst for change, things like that, and that that's going to vary according to what sort of experience you've had. And I think that's where there could be gaps for anybody in practice. You may have worked with quite a few clients in depth, looking at financial transformation, looking at cost reduction, looking at how to put a strategy together. But probably not in a lot of cases. You've been doing the audit. You've been doing the year-end accounts. You've been talking through some tax structures. You've been doing a, a different, more regulatory-based set of work. And I think it's, it's, those, it's that, that trio of skills that are, that, are, that are probably going to be short for the account in practice. That's a fair comment. You get the same argument leveled at politicians who are in charge of decisions that affect the economy and affect business. And they've never been in business in their life. They've never been an entrepreneur. And many accountants, they never ran a business. They don't know what it's like to be a business owner. So that commercial acumen, that business awareness, that's not part of their skill set. That's something that needs to be developed, presumably. Absolutely. But I, I think increasingly, as, as accountants in practice, want to increase their service area. That's probably the key into where a lot of extra services can be provided, but it means developing those skills. Mm. We will get you on a, a separate interview on that one, Kevin. I'd love to deep dive into that transition from CFO to consultancy. Yeah. Tell us about how a CFO might know that they are ready for the role, ready to step into those shoes. Actually, we've, we've just published a blog post on the, the Grow CFO website on exactly that subject. We'll put the link in the show notes. Tell us about it. I think you never quite know whether you're ready or not. There's no readiness indicator, put it that way. You look at the competency framework, you'll, you'll feel as though, yes, you're moving forward in the areas you want to move forward in. You'll feel as though you've got to a certain level in your career where you've done the head of finance role. You're increasingly becoming a, an advisor to the board. You're increasingly getting involved in business conversations rather than just putting the accounts together. I think you, you kind of get a feel that you're ready rather than anything else. It's very, very hard to generalize, but you know, it goes into what sort of CFO do you want to be? If you want to be a fundraising CFO, well, have you actually developed your fundraising skills? And we've got a fundraising simulator in Grow CFO that allows you to go through a fundraising exercise from start to finish in a sandbox and see how you put together the pitch decks, how you put together the financial models and all of those good things. If you're a strategic CFO, have you been involved in business strategy? 
Do you enjoy the strategic area? Do you know how to put a strategic plan together? Do you know how to evaluate the various options in front of the business? So no, there's, there's no right answer to whether you're ready or not. But then you get a gut feel for it, I think, is probably the best answer. Yes. Well, you'll either be asked to do the role or you'll be banging at the door to do the role and you'll feel that it's right. And it's one of those interesting things as well, Rob, that most companies coming along trying to recruit their CFO are looking for an experienced CFO. You're there looking for your first role and you've got no experience. (laughs) Catch 22. They say that experience is, is the comb that life gives you after you've gone bald. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I understand. And that, that's actually where our future CFO programs come from in Grow CFO, that we've recognised this glass ceiling there. How do you get that first role? You are politically correct, Arian, mentioning he or she in the CFO role. Is it predominantly a, a male-dominating environment? Certainly, we know that there are more male accountants than female. What would you say? I think it used to be a male-dominated role. But I, I think I look at our membership in Grow CFO and it's, it's much nearer 50-50 than you'd expect. We've got a very active uh, women finance leader group within Grow CFO. I think some of the issues that, that women have in the role are different to the ones that men have in the role. A lot of our lady members tell us that assertiveness could be a problem. Yeah? They feel just a little uncomfortable, particularly if it's a male environment they're operating in, being assertive and you know, say effectively finding it difficult to say no to a proposal when it's not women right. are much more agreeable and inclined to consensus than men that's absolutely for real i'm just thinking back to my hr days one of the constant prompts for hr professionals was to get board level buy-in and get that influence at board level and to do that you've got to be persuasive you've got to be compelling you've got to make the business case you've got to argue the value of what you're bringing to the table if you like and that perhaps easier for a cfo than a, a hr role but that's still relevant isn't it you've got to be persuasive and influential yeah absolutely and so we've we've done a lot of work around the, the biggest issues that affect new cfos and the two that keep coming out on top is lack of confidence and imposter syndrome. And I think coming back to the male or female question, that an interesting difference is that while both sexes suffer from those problems, the lady members are the ones that are most willing to admit to it and most willing to seek help and mentoring. You touch in there on the mental side of this, the mental resilience, the robustness, the rigor, if you like, of that self-confidence, self-affirmation of being able to stand up with your numbers, with your data and tell the story and weave a compelling narrative that leads a board to take action. That's all part of the mix, isn't it now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think the, the two biggest skills that you've got to have are the ability to communicate and the ability to uh, develop strong relationships. And they're effectively the the, the two sides of the same coin. You've got to know very well the personalities that are involved in the business. You've got to know their hot buttons. You've got to know how to approach them, how to get them on board. And you've got to be able to not just present the numbers, but you've got to be able to present the story behind the numbers. Yes. This is fascinating and the accountants listening will be perhaps as intrigued by a career as a cfo as they are by an accountant and they're, they're both viable options aren't they if you've got an accounting qualification yeah absolutely absolutely and then i've tr- and in my own career and qualified way way back as a chartered accountant with bdo then went off into industry and ended up as european business accountant for the plastics business in the old conglomerate ici which sadly is no more, then had a 20-year career as a management consultant, effectively back in practice, but not, not in the audit side of practice. Then in the classroom, teaching people some of the management accounting things that I, that I, I use as my bread and butter in, in consultancy. And that's part of why Grow CFO is there. All of those skills I want to pass on to the next generation. Which is applaudable, absolutely. And Accountants listening, they can join your CFO community, can't they, Kevin? It's not exclusively for people in those roles. Oh, no. I'm, literally anybody can join Grow CFO as a, as a free member. What do they get when they join? Access to the community. There are one or two free training courses and free events. The vast majority of what you get out of Grow CFO is being a premium member. 
And that's where you access the competency framework that you spoke about. Anybody can go and do the competency framework and you'll get a report when you do the competency framework. And we ask you to, to give a little bit of, I'll not say personal information, but at least information that will allow us to segment you. What sort of age group are you in? What's your level of experience? What sort of business do you work for? And we do that so that when we give you a report, you know, we're going, we're going to benchmark you against your peer group. We're not just going to benchmark you against every CFO because that would be a bit meaningless. And you know, somebody taking the competency framework and hasn't got their first CFO role yet is just going to feel, oh, I'm right at the bottom of the pile. We want to segment those, those against other people who haven't quite got their first CFO role yet. And we're, we've got to the point now that we've had so many people go through the framework that we've, we've got a really good bit of data now sitting there that we can, we can benchmark into, into every peer group quite well. And are you the only gig in town, Kevin, when it comes to CFOs, other, other communities? What do you do that's different and better? Uh, there are friends at CFO Connect, which are much more of a network. Um, crossing the United States, the CFO University, um, there are one or two other smaller organizations as well. But I think what we're doing is we're, we're homing in very, very specifically on a, a niche that's around that, that's not quite a CFO yet or more recently became one. And one part of the business is the online platform and the learning piece. Second part is mentoring. Um, we, we've got a group of nine or 10 mentors who are all they're not just C-suite coaches, they're ex-CFOs, and in some cases still current CFOs, who want to, again, want to give something back to the next generation. And they're, they are really experienced at mentoring people, but they've also been there, done it, got the T-shirt. I'm reminded of the quote, I think it was Martin Rutter that said, you've got to do it by yourself, but you can't do it alone. Yeah. And that importance of mentoring and coaching and people getting alongside you, people that have trodden the path that you are going down, you can't put a price on that, can you? Exactly, exactly. And I, I think there's a, a reluctance amongst accountants and CFOs to go and reach out for a coach or a mentor. There's some feeling that, oh, we've passed exams to be able to do all of this stuff. Yeah, we've done all of our learning. We've done all of our learning. And then you look and realise that actually there's another three members in their C-suite have all got C-suite coaches. Yes. And you look at the 45 skills, competencies you mentioned, and you see the gaps and you think, well, how do I even start with that? Yeah, exactly. I, I think having a mentor is a very, very powerful thing. And the, the, the next question comes to what, what sort of mentor do you want? Which is why we've got a panel of nine or 10 of them. You know? The chemistry has got to be right. Kevin, this is terrific. Just in closing, we'll put your contact details in the show notes and the link to that uh, competency test and everything else. Talk to us about the future. What's happening with the CFO role over the next few years? In these uncertain times, we're still not out of COVID yet. There's a lot of VUCA, that volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. What's coming up for the CFO role? You've got to be able to think quickly, think on your feet. You know, we went at the pandemic. The CFO suddenly became really, really involved in strategy, in the business plan. We had to, lots of businesses had to rethink their business plan overnight. And it was very much driven by the the oh shit, we've got no sales moment. Yes, that certainly focuses the mind, doesn't it? Like a bullet to the head. That, that's one thing that the CFO there, I think, has generally got more involved in strategy. There's a big, big change around integration, automation of systems and so on. So the CFO's got a big role there. And I think the other big role the CFO's got is, is pulling together all of the information in the business, not just the financials. And being the the owner of the the database, that's the one version of the truth about the business. So much of this is crossing over into the accounting world. Kevin Appleby, that's been outstanding. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. This has been the Accounting Influencers Podcast you've got this far. We thank you for tuning in, one of our 25,000 listeners all over the world. We're growing by a few hundred each week, and we really value your contribution, your patronage of the show, you accounting practitioners, and you people in the fintech world that serve them, sell to them, sell through them. It is great to have you along for the journey. I've been Rob Brown, and along with Martin Bissett, my co-host, 
We want to thank the guests for this week's show. Remember that on a Monday, you tune into The Big Show, which gives you the interviews, the news, and its practical applications for you in your life. And our practical Here's What Works section that comes out on a Thursday as well as a standalone episode. And remember our Saturday bonus. We're doing a series right now on The Price is Right. It's a play on the game show where we tackle that very prickly subject for accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers on pricing. How do you do it confidently? Now, remember, we know there are lots of podcasts out there. Some of them are very technical in nature. Some of them are very technological in nature, talking about cloud, digital, and everything else. We are a show based on performance for accounting practitioners. How can you sell more? How can you be more? How can you do more? How can you serve your clients better? How can you stay informed, build that commercial acumen and awareness that you need? Thank you for tuning in. It's part of your CPE, your CPD, Continued Professional Development and Education. So thank you to Earmark CPE for providing that for us. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on next week's show. Remember also you've got the Saturday bonus coming up. We teach you the price is right. All the challenges and solutions to getting pricing totally sorted in your accounting practice. Have a great day. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.